This I was not expecting. I have sort of done it before, but it was over three decades ago in very different circumstances. But as it turned out, very different people. Background first. One of the many things I've done for money has been teaching, but I never planned it. It was an accident that I knew anything about computers either, really. Further back in my confused, complex, but fully documented past lives, I sat on the wrong side of a room at the BBC on day one of my indoctrination, my start of a real job. The side I chose was split off to join television recording. The other side of the room was sound. That was the job I wanted. I could change it in a bit, I thought. No, I couldn't. Or at least didn't. The relevance of this tidbit of history is that the television recording department got interested in computers, even before the BBC did. But once Auntie had caught up with the engineers, I was ready and bought one. It was this, this computer, and the ones that led to it, that did much to fill the next ten or so years of my life. I'd stopped working at the Beeb and also stopped working at Central TV, mostly because they ran out of money to pay me. So I needed a new job. An ex-VT engineer uh, was uh, only useful for making television, but no one was hiring. A nice lady told me about another option, computing support at a local college. So I went there and got the job. Not the one I was expecting, though. I was shown the computers and evidently also showed my lack of fear of them, a habit followed by most people at the time. The next words I heard did somewhat floor me. Here is your class. See you in a few hours. And there I was, instant teacher. I did the job part-time for eight years. The kids were great, highly disabled physically, but developmentally and thus mentally held back by the fact they were treated as being mentally disabled. Okay, so we're that too. We're all mixtures of all abilities, some more mixed than others. It was fascinating work though. Once I got used to how brave they were and had several cries about it, it was the best job ever. So, I've written the podcast about that already in greater depth, but yesterday's experiences top that story massively. I was expecting to invigilate another exam that afternoon. I had done so in the morning, physics GCSE, really easy, not the memory trick of biology. But that aside, after fighting for my food at the school's massive purpose-built restaurant, I got my food for free and put some of the red bits of it on my white shirt. This is not a good plan in the school, especially not one with adolescent people in it, especially when you'll be standing up close to them for several hours. I was about to be deeply embarrassed. This was not an issue, as it turned out. While waiting for the second half of the day to start, I heard tell that I may be working somewhere else later on. Okay, I thought. Different hall, no problem. But which, when and where, had not been vouchsafed to me. I had to wait. Then I had to find the person who would tell me where to go. Finding the room that person would be in was an issue. I can and have got lost inside a train, not being able to find my family. I have poor geographical memory, shall we say. Anyway, I gamely set out to find reception. 
I've been there several times before. Indeed, I signed in there that very morning. But I've been walking in the opposite direction and not paying attention to anything above foot level. Why, you ask? Because I can not detect depth very well. Well, not very well unless it's very deep. Most trippable things are not deep. It's called a plummet if I can see it without paying close attention. So I was not paying any attention to walls or signs on my way in that morning. Reversing my path was hopeless. I can even remember what I've seen, even if I saw it, at least not in any sort of order. I do recognise things, but not where they are or their relationship to each other. Yes, I was about to get lost, and I knew it too. Then it struck me. I could use the working navigation systems that were all around me in the heads of the erstwhile or prospective exam sitters. I could ask a student, and so I did. Kids can be very helpful. No problem, sir, was accurately and immediately accompanied to reception. And there I was received, but not by the person who knew what I was going to do. I was booked for, or indeed employed for money to do. I sat and waited. Fifteen minutes after what I had assumed to be the start of the next exam, to be, had come and gone. A woman arrived and took me to the hub. Okay, it's technical, I can do that. Hubs are the centre's communication systems, presumably their intranet, I thought. Have you been DBS checked? I was asked. Well, yes, I wouldn't have been letting that far if I hadn't. Why ask again, I wondered, with growing speculation. Then I found out. This was the special needs department. A few days prior to this discovery, I had seen a student who I thought needed a lot of support, basically totally out of his depth. But that day I learned that he was the head and metaphorical shoulders above those other students that I was about to be introduced to. These new group of people were broken. They'd been born broken. Looking after them had probably broken many people in their 15 years or so of existence. I was shocked. I obviously had seen and interacted with mentally disabled people in the past, call them whatever the current pigeonhole terminology may be, but never this deeply in need of support, shall we say, and certainly not ten in one small room. I was not alone. Each chap, they were all male, had someone in attendance. I did not need to consider the source marks on my shirt. What was I to do? What was I expected to do? I'd not been trained or specifically vetted, let alone in any way prepared to do any sort of social care. Certainly not then. I was suddenly very, very tired. That is what I do. Most people have a fight or flight response to unexpected and challenging situations. I get sleepy and try to slip out of anyone's attention back to the safety of utter unimportance. But that day, escape was not an option. I had a job to do, and clearly there was a massive job there to be done. Quite how, with who, when and where were very much still in question, so I improvised. I am basically, well, part of my base is in engineering, so I treated the people I met as having a problem with their internal computer. What seems to be the problem? When did you first notice it? What have you tried so far? All of those opening gambits had very clear answers. The first thing that the other trained and experienced staff attempted was turning them off and on again. Keeping them off long enough for a reboot has evidently not been possible in the last 15 years or so. 
and the pouring had just had the result of making it harder to see where they were in the suddenly darkened room. Putting a sheet over a parrot works. Turning the light off has no such dramatic effects, at least not positive ones, on this lot. One chap, who I had noticed perching, not sitting, on a stool behind and wrapped in a curtain, started a low murmur, growing louder into a whoop. No one paid any attention, nor did I notice any reaction other than my own. I was disturbed, nothing more, but I took it as an indication of the sort of thing to come. But it did, but not from him. Very heavily built chap, my height and girth, but far younger and fitter, shook my hand. Nice chap. I tried to start a conversation. Non-verbal, I was told. That did not mean he didn't vocalise. He did. I caught on quite fast, but not as fast as he caught on to my braces, arm, and I was told would have grasped my glasses had I not been forewarned. So I took them off. That made it far harder to protect myself from his and the many other people's groping hands. Once I've got my reaction time up to speed, fascinating to observe. But as the grabbing intensity increased, interest, then fear took its place. Not exactly fear, but great concern for my glasses. I was told that if he got them, the rest of his pre-planned action would be to immediately snap them in half. That was why they were in my pocket. Not a very safe place for glasses, but okay as long as I stayed standing, which I had every intention of doing. Sitting would make me far more easy target. I had signed a DBS. Clearly, they have not. They have no inhibitions, indeed, about personal space. If something proved interesting, it would be investigated by hand, possibly also mouth, if you were not fast enough. I was. Autistic people on the very far end of the spectrum, the end people don't talk about, do not have attention or concentration problems. They just find what they think of as interesting to be far more attention-grabbing than that which you want them to pay attention to. Safety, breakages, clothing, unless it isn't theirs, will be missed by them. Not consciously missed, but not in any way would they trigger any reaction. Bright lights do. When the main trainer did a really very well thought-out entertainment demo on the floor, my chap was staring blissfully unaware at the sunlit tree through the massive wall-sized window. The tree was far more interesting to me as well, but the demo was a very good demo. I felt really sorry for the trainer. I had been ignored like that too, but then my audience was somewhat more easy to contact. What is going on in their heads? You can see the lights are on, but not what they are illuminating. I tried asking, but only when I moved my arms around a lot, shouting was not an option, did I manage to get in, and then only for a moment. This chap would see something had happened, but saw nothing of further interest, so went back to tree-gazing. What is it that defines a human? Those people were students, in name only. They could not study or learn because they could not attend to the subjects at hand or engage in any complex planning based on deep understanding hinging on memory. How could they remember anything they didn't notice? If they never built a basic understanding of how the world works, then they would never have anything on which to base understanding of anything else. They could not learn. They have multiple issues, but some, I think, are the result of others. Their behaviour is incredibly similar to that of chimps in natural history programmes. 
chimps do not have mental problems. They can and do learn things, build relationships, remember situations, develop likes and dislikes and clearly have strong personalities. These aspects we take to be almost human attributes, clearly on the way to evolving to a higher level of existence. But with a group of modern humans with which I was faced, all I could see was what was missing from them. But their physical brains are, I expect, in most cases, fully developed. They do not have chimp brains. So the hardware is in place, but faulty. It is not turned on or is running, but with the wrong, incomplete or damaged programming. Put like that, we can fix this error and restore full abilities to them. But we must first establish what bits are turned off, and then establish what parts of the physical brain should be active when the missing functions are in use. Then, if that can be established, there can be a map made that can be traced. A diagram can be made that could be followed and examined to see any blockage or breakage, and therefore fix that. I said I was an engineer, and when something massively complex and wonderful is not working properly, I want to find out why and fix it. I wonder if my line of reasoning has been followed through by anyone. If you know, please contact me at podcasts at torty.org.uk. Thank you. That has been a somewhat unusual podcast in the Torty Talk series for my Tortoisoft Enterprises project. That's me, Simon Anthony. The background sounds were courtesy of a large number of actors waiting to perform in a Bollywood movie. More of that later. Mm-hmm.